Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 71 for December 21st, 2006. Securable. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. Time to talk about security, and even though the holidays are fast approaching, Steve Gibson insists that he's going to catch Twit, and so when Twit's <laughs> off, Steve goes crazy and says, let's do another one, <laughs> so we'll do only, two today. <laughs> I think we're only 10 weeks behind, right? I think, tw- d- d- didn't you just do number 80? Just did number think, 80. Yep. In fact, I participated in number 80. That's right, which was, it was very nice to have you. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. you're 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 great to have on Twitter, and I think you and Dvorak are just fun to have together. So, thank well, you. and we do have you know we have a different approach because I generally I infatuate with things. I love technology. I'm I'm a little bit of a sucker that way. And John is I mean exactly, he hates everything. Exactly. So so I think he and I do have a sort of nice counterpoint against each other. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. It was a fun show. And if you haven't heard Twit eighty, please uh, download. That we are going to take a couple of weeks off for uh, Windows Weekly, uh, so because I'm going to Mexico pretty much as soon as we finish taping this, <laughs> and, then, and then I'll be back. Uh, and you know, uh, Daily Gizwiz is going to shut down for a couple of weeks after this week, and so forth. We're going to take a little time off. We, I call it podcast catch-up weeks, so you can catch up with the ones you've missed. <laughs> and there are a lot of old issues you can go back and look through. That's very good, Leo. I doubt I like very that. many. I doubt very many people have heard every security now, for instance. It's also interesting that I was thinking how much Vista is in every well is in our minds. I mean, you and I are talking about it. We're using it. Certainly, you and Paul are talking about it with with Windows Weekly. Yet, it's got to be a little frustrating for so many of our listeners who are hearing about something that they don't yet have and, right. and cannot yet get. So, on the other hand, you know, from a security standpoint, we want to lay down the foundation of what I think is going to be a very important. Um, enhancement to the, you know the the Windows Workstation desktop platform yeah, with, yeah. with Vista. I completely agree. So what are, what is our topic for the day today? Well, today I want to talk about something that I've alluded to over the last few weeks that I've been now working on for many weeks, which has turned into, as many of my things do, a much larger project than I imagined. It's this piece of freeware that I will be releasing. It's not yet finished, but I want to talk about what I'm learning along the way uh, because I think people will really find it interesting and because I'm because of what I'm learning is significant, even though I'm not yet really sure what it means. So I'll explain all that. <laughs> okay. That's but coming first, up, but first some errata, I think. Yeah. yeah well, well, of course, or last follow-ups. week, right. For, um, last week, we talked about Tor, the, the onion router network, which generated a ton of, of feedback. And, and you mentioned that you even had some callers on your, on, on your weekend show. On the radio show, yeah. 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 Um, now, 
most of the concern, well, there, there, there was some issue about the Tor technology, and in fact, we're going to cover those questions in next week's Q&A, because we have a Q&A coming up next week. So, so those I'm going to hold off on, but the interesting ones that I, I just wanted to acknowledge them were, you know, the, more the issue of sort of episode number 69, where we were talking about the policy, the, the social implications of anonymity. For example, and I'm just going to read one person's note because it's sort of representative of, of, of this sort of issue that people had. He's, he says, free speech does not, in all caps, require anonymity, exclamation point. In the United States, you can say just about whatever you want without anonymity and you won't get dragged away by the police. There are only a few areas that aren't protected, such as criminally threatening somebody or inflicting, um, well, his, his note says, or, or inciting a riot, which aren't protected because these types of speech violate other citizens' civil rights in the process. Conversely, a person speaking under anonymity in an oppressive country does not have the freedom of speech. He is simply avoiding persecution from his government, but he never truly had that freedom. I almost stopped listening to episodes 69 and 70. I, th- I think he may almost stop listening to security now forever. He says, after hearing your argument and only later realized that you were parroting the bad logic from the Freenet Project website. They've written software with the sole purpose of violating copyright laws and trying to justify it by boiling down a series of bad logical arguments to, quote, you either choose between freedom of speech or copyright laws, unquote. Given the choice, who in their right mind would choose the latter? I guess that's what they're banking on if they ever go to trial over this. Freedom of speech does not require anonymity. Lack of accountability for your speech or actions requires anonymity. So, you know, there I, I got a bunch of postings, you know, like that, and and I wanted to acknowledge that, I mean, I understand that argument, and and what we were talking about, because we were talking about in episode 70, which this whole notion of sort of, you know, infinite techno-anonymity, which is what the Tor network brings us, I wanted to comment, I mean, while I completely understand what that guy is saying, I, and I, I hope I I buffered some of the absolutism of of that in episode 69 when we were talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, for example, I have no need for anonymity. As, as you know, Leo, I've gotten involved, for example, in my local homeowners association, and I've sent a number of letters out to all of the people in the association, 309 homeowners here, signing my name and putting my address on it. Other people, because it's gotten sort of political, have been leaving anonymous flyers on people's doorsteps. And people of my fellow homeowners have come up to me and really thanked me for my involvement and noted specifically how much they appreciated I put my name and an address on my communications. I mean, I was taking responsibility for what I was saying, which I think makes it much more effective. But, you know, on at, at the same time, we've got people saying, wait a minute, you know, you don't need to be anonymous to have free speech, except there is that counter argument, which is, okay, there are people maybe who are shy or who, for who, you know, who don't feel that they have the freedom to say what they want for fear of 
you know, their neighbors being upset with them. I mean, you know, even that, not not necessarily your government. And we're not talking about being being dragged away by the police, but, you know, they're, for whatever reason, they don't want to set their name to their feelings, yet they still want their feelings to be known. So, you know, I mean, there, uh, there, are, there are two sides to it. I know that we sort of ventured into political territory with episode yeah, and obviously uh, upset that guy but i but believe me uh, it, it, all you have to do is say in an election one of the fundamental tenets of elections is the the the, the anonymity of your vote it's a very good point Lee. and that's all you need to say it's something that's been built into our constitution it's something that's part of our society anonymity is very important otherwise you don't if you don't have secret ballots yeah and and I, you know i hate it when people say but oh, it's safe here now well, true, but it's not necessarily always that way. You've well, got to be vigilant of freedom. You don't just assume we've got free speech. We don't have to do anything about it. Yep. And in fact, it's free. It, it's safe here now because we have had that freedom of an anonymous ballot where people right. were able to vote without any concern right. that, you know. That, and it hasn't you know, always been that way. I mean, uh, uh, there are many times in our own national history where there weren't secret ballots and it was an issue. Uh, things like the poll taxes. We've got to fight for these things. They don't come automatically. So for somebody to say, well, it's safe to be, you know, you could say anything you want here in this country right now. That may be true right now. Doesn't mean you shouldn't continually monitor this stuff. And I think when technology provides you ways to do it, you should do it. Now, I'm uncomfortable with Freenet as well. Yep. I'm not I'm not running Freenet uh, for a lot of reasons, but I don't think that there's a problem with the Tor router. I think that this is the kind of thing uh, we've got to have so that we can preserve our own freedoms, period. And well, so if and, the guy doesn't like it, you don't have to listen to security now. That's fine. You go, <laughs> go listen to Rush Limbaugh. I'm perfectly happy with, with that. Well, and I also wanted to acknowledge that, I mean, there are there are levels and, and shades of gray. and that Absolutely. I mean, it's I, not black I, and white. Yeah. Right. I can really appreciate that, that, that there are people, for example, very active people in GRC's news groups. I have no idea who they are. I don't care who they are. They've establish right. an identity they are they are completely anonymous and that's just fine because over time i've learned who these people are based on their handles we have provided the ability to prevent handles from being spoofed grc prevents that from happening as i mentioned in episode 69 so so you know it's like they're entirely effective and if they would rather not use their name i'd rather hear from from good people who take the option that the internet provides in all kinds of different ways of you know of being unknown let me ask you the question that our caller on the radio show asked because i thought it was kind of an interesting question he's he, he listened to the tour router uh show and clearly understood it and he said one thing that bothers me is let's say uh, a governmental agency wanted to infiltrate the tour router put lots of tour routers online and then hoped to, at least from time to time, make their router the last router on the Tor routing, wouldn't they be able to see your message in the clear? Yes, that's absolutely the case. They would, they would be able to see the, fi- the, the final decryption of your TCP traffic as it was leaving and returning from that, that last router in, in the anonymizing network. So... So it's it's not providing encryption. Now, of course, you could create an HTTPS, that is an SSL end-to-end encryption. So you're encrypting everything yourself, so that between you and the remote site. So 
So that would create a, a, an, an encrypted tunnel that was then being anonymized by the, the Tor network. But there has been, uh, people have noticed a couple things about Tor, and, and we'll, we'll be covering it in some more detail next week. Um, for example, if you had a malicious Tor router as the, as, as you said, the last router in the onion chain, then there are different things it could do. It could even use cookies and JavaScript and inject stuff back into your browser, which could potentially then, for example, if, 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 if it was able to inject JavaScript in pages you were retrieving, JavaScript could run in your browser and reveal your IP back through that connection. So, so it, there, there are, you know, there are potentially bad things that could be done, but the, the technology of encapsulating encryption, as we discussed last week, in this, in this onion, I mean, it, it's very effective for anonymity. A, a high percentage of routers could be compromised and still anonymity would be protected. So the thing to understand is that Tor is not about encryption. It's about protecting anonymity. And the way it does, and, 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 and people have to understand that even if you use encryption, tra- very sophisticated traffic analysis programs exist that can deduce a lot about what's going on just by watching who's talking to whom when. So that's what the Tor does. It, it doesn't encrypt your data. It hides who's sending what to whom. Correct. And in fact, one of the things that there's a really neat page on the Tor site, which talks about the problems that they acknowledge the network still has. We talked about how, for example, all the packets being exchanged are padded out to a fixed length so that you cannot use packet length analysis in seeing traffic coming in and going out of a single Tor node in order to associate them. But because Tor is a relatively low latency network, that is, they, they want the thing to still still be functional and, and useful, They're, the routers do not introduce random delays, that is, in how long they hold the packet before routing it. If If routers sucked in packets and waited random lengths of time before sending it on, then you would not be able to use timing analysis with any, you know, I mean, it's essentially would really render timing analysis fruitless. On the other hand, it would introduce tremendous end-to-end delays as the traffic moves through the network. And so that would be, a, a you know, a different problem because it would then, you know, drop the usability of the Tor network. At, and, and it turns out that their feeling is, okay, you know, we need some trade-offs here and keeping keeping the network fast enough to use rather than it just being useless because it's too slow is is better than you know not having people use it at all right 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 all right any other uh past items we want to cover uh i think we're ready to go on to right. uh, t- to talk about uh what i've been doing for the last month essentially Bef- before we do that i just want to uh, acknowledge some of our uh fine sponsors i think this may be the last week we'll hear a, a dell ad maybe there'll be one more They've been so good and so supportive to us. It's been a great three-month run, and we do hope they'll come back. But I also want to thank all the folks who bought Dell equipment through our uh, links on the Twit page because uh, we got credit for each and every one of them. All you got to do is go to twit.tv slash Dell. Even if you don't see something in the Leo's Picks page you want, that the Picks page is just stuff that I've recently bought, uh, you can click any of the links there. Go to Dell. If you're in the U.S., and I get a number of emails saying, oh, I'd like to you know support you from Canada or Australia or Dell's all over the world. 
Yeah, they only count U.S. purchasers. So uh, go ahead and buy your Dell equipment, but you don't need to go through our site if you're outside the U.S. If you're in the U.S., I'd appreciate it if you'd go through that site. Twit.tv slash Dell. Thanks to you and to Dell for supporting the Twit Network. Also, thanks to our long-term sponsor, Astaro Corporation. We're so glad to welcome them back for yet another year of supportive security. Now, they really, um, I, they were the first advertiser on the Twit Network. And uh, signing another year-long deal really shows uh, their commitment to security now. And I just am so grateful to them. Astaro, and it's a good relationship. They make uh, one of the best security gateways out there, the Astaro Security Gateway. Open source-based, powerful. If your small or medium business network needs superior protection from, listen to what it does, spam from viruses, from hackers, complete VPN and cap- uh, capabilities, intrusion detecting, detection, content filtering, and an industrial strength firewall. And it's all in one single, easy to use, high performance appliance. This is it for you. Contact Astaro, A S T A R O dot com, or call 877 the number 4 A S T A R O, 877 Astaro to schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway appliance in your business. They are, uh, they're great. It's a great product. We're glad to have them on the Security Now show, and we thank them for their support. So, what is this, uh, what is this program you're working on? Well, I'm, this is an outgrowth of a discussion you and I had about a month ago, I guess, when when we were talking about 32 versus 64-bit security in the forthcoming Windows Vista kernel. We were you you may remember that we we made the the, the mistake briefly of saying, well, you know, nobody had nobody has 64-bit systems. Those are you know big. Uh, big iron server platforms and and so it's you know the whole notion of the enhanced security that Vista offers users of the 64-bit kernel which is significant and and can be significant you know we sort of saw that as being off in the distance well you and I, you got a bunch of mail I got a bunch of mail <laughs> people were saying wait a minute you know I've got 64 bits now certainly there's lots of AMD 64 users who who have have you know personal workstations that are already 64 bits now they may be still running and they probably are in most cases the 32 bit um, Windows XP kernel because as we know compatibility of hardware device drivers has been a problem um, historically I mean you know a 64 bit XP kernel has existed for years yet its adoption rate has been very low because there just hasn't been a demand for it. I mean, we, there's the same sort of chicken and egg thing. It's like the manufacturers aren't doing 64-bit drivers because the users are not demanding them because they're not running 64-bit XP, but they're not running 64-bit XP because there aren't 64-bit drivers for the things they want to do. <laughs> right. So so certainly this is going to be solved moving forward because 64-bits really does begin, as we have seen, to give us substantially better kernel protection, you know, as we've said before, Microsoft has has been forced for the in the name of backward compatibility, of they they they've been forced to not fix a lot of things they could fix in the 32-bit version even of Vista because it would break things move that that are are coming forward from XP. Instead, they've said, okay, we're going to make the really robust security enhancements that we wish we could make over on the 32-bit platform. We're going to make those on the 64-bit platform. So so the point was, after all that, I, I poked around and did some research wondering, okay, how 
prevalent, how pervasive is 64-bit support? And what I learned was that, in fact, as, as people who wrote to us uh, were correct in saying, not only are the obviously AMD 64 chips 64-bit capable, but Intel has, has a technology they call EM64T, which is full 64-bit support, which they've been shipping for years in well, not I me, mean, not not ten years, but you know, some time. Three. I remember yes. talking with uh, Andy Grove, and he was so mad that Microsoft wasn't supporting the sixty-four bit capabilities of their processors. Well, exactly. So, so what I realized was many people who've been purchasing computers recently in the last few years may, in fact, have sixty-four bit support and not know it. So, so okay. So there was that. Then there's this whole issue of software versus hardware DEP. DEP is the data execution prevention technology, which, and this is where I'm going to spend the most of our time today talking about the significance and the the quirky details of that, which have big, which are beginning to be revealed as I'm actually messing around with this stuff. And through a, a whole bunch of our great uh, news group uh, posters over in GRC who have been messing with a couple of the early releases of, of this software already and sort of getting themselves revved up and finding out what's going on. So there's this there's this issue of hardware versus software support for preventing buffer overruns. Mm-hmm. And, and that's certainly a, a very important security feature. And then finally, we've talked about the VMX or the uh, as AMD calls it or I don't know, wait, is it VMX? It's something like that. And I can never keep track of all these acronyms. Yeah, I know. So. Uh, Intel calls it VT, and that, and, and but in e- in either case, the, they are compatible. They are the these are the virtual machine extensions, which are now being supported. Just now being supported. I mean, Parallels now supports it. I heard that Virtual PC, Microsoft's product, now supports it. Essentially, this allows virtual machines to run at at identical performance as the host OS is. I mean, it's a, a, a tremendous performance boost, and Microsoft has made noises. As far as I know, these are unofficial noises, but that they will be able to use the virtual tech, the, the virtual machine enhancements in a future version of probably, and I'm assuming, only the 64-bit version of Windows Vista, maybe 32, I just don't know. But they're talking about introducing a hypervisor technology to further lock down the kernel, because as we have talked about recently, Microsoft's kernel patch prevention, the KPP, or also known as Patch Guard, it doesn't actually prevent patches. As we've seen, every five to ten minutes, it checks to see if there have been any, and if so, it just shuts Windows down. So um, it turns out that that's what Microsoft is doing now, Ultimately, they, they should be able to literally lock the kernel using a hypervisor, that is to say, something running at a l- level even lower than the kernel. Well, that's got to be the hardware, which is now becoming available. So what I, what I realized, you know, pushing back from this, is there are three things which are really important security hardware features, whether your chip has 64 bits, whether it supports hardware data execution prevention, DEP, and whether it has the virtual machine extensions. And so I started to write a program called Securable, S-E-C-U-R-A-B-L-E, which is how securable is your system. 
based on the hardware capabilities. And so what Securable does is it's it's going to be a piece of freeware, probably available in a couple of weeks. It's it's running. Newsgroup people have been using it. Um, I'm pursuing the you know the final details as as is often the case. It's ended up being more interesting than I expected because of how much I'm learning about what's going on inside of these chips in order to really make this be a really cool little turnkey robust utility, you know, like I like all my little freeware stuff to be. So so what what Securable does, it's I don't know, it's like six twenty six K or something. It's you know all in a all, <laughs> all in assembly language. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Although it's gonna be bigger because I'm digitally signing it and as it turns out, I have had to write a kernel driver for this also, which will be digitally signed. I did verify, by the way, Leo, we were talking actually last week in Toronto about whether Microsoft's requirement that Windows 64, oh no, it's all Vista, it's Vista drivers, all Vista drivers, no. We were, we were talking drivers. about the issue on 64, whether Microsoft had to sign the drivers or just Anybody sign the drivers exactly, and 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 it's not thirty-two bits that, because that would break everything. Right, it's just right. sixty-four bits. So Microsoft in Windows Vista, oh, and I think it's also the case in sixty-four bit XP, is that all, only signed drivers will be loaded by the kernel. But signed did, by whom is the question? I did I did verify Microsoft. Microsoft has a certificate that you can freely download from them, ah. which knows about your existing authenticode certificates. For example, I have a, a, a digital certificate, cost me about $500, which I get from VeriSign. And that allows me to sign my exes so that they're recognized by Windows. One of the things that Microsoft has been doing is they're, they're beginning to raise the bar in cautioning users about running code they've downloaded from the internet. Mm -hmm. And my older freeware, if you download it and run it, it'll always pop up a dialogue. Right. It I've seen it. it. Yeah. It, 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 well, I mean, in anyone's software, t typically any freeware that you download, yep. Microsoft tags it that it's that it's from the internet, and so it pops up a dialogue saying, "Hey, this is an unknown publisher. Right. Are you sure you want to run this?" You see well, that a lot, and, and this is in 32-bit as well as 64-bit. Yes, and and again, so I mean, we're seeing this now to in, in current versions of XP, for example. So signing this means that, that that when you download the software, you still get the dialogue, but it say, instead of saying unknown software publisher, it says you've downloaded something from Gibson Research Corporation. Mm. And and so it, it authenticates that that's what the software, wh where the software's from. It's also doing a full cryptographic verification to, to confirm that there's been no modification to that executable from the time I signed it until it was checked in the user's machine. So it, it really does provide good authentication and integrity checking for that. And you're able, I think you're able to say, always trust software from this publisher. You can certainly say, don't ask me about this specific program every time I run it. And, and so you're able to say, okay, yeah, 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 you know, we know who Steve is, you know, we like his stuff, we're going to run it without any questions. Or you can say, well, you know, ask me, but only ask me, you know, the first time I, I, I run stuff that we download from GRC right. or, or, or whomever. So the point is that, that that authentication is extendable 
using another certificate which is freely downloadable by Microsoft. You sort of double sign this with Microsoft certificate and with the one that, that you get from VeriSign or any of the other people who provide this Authenticode certification. And then without any further involvement of Microsoft, you can sign drivers. And so, and I'll, I'll know all about this firsthand because this is what I'll be doing here very shortly. So, okay, so security. So it's free is the key, though, and you don't have to yes. pay Microsoft a bunch of money. Well, yes, you, uh, th there is that. There is. What you have to get an You have to get an Authenticode uh, license. Yes, so, so it's not free, and this is this is being controversial out in the open source. Yeah, because if I'm a free uh, program, uh, I have to. Pay, how much is the Authenticode uh, certificate? It's like five hundred dollars. Hey, hey, dope, jeez, Louise. And in fact, it might even be more. I might have paid seven ninety nine, but so, I think I got it for many years. That's so gonna, got all that's like dumb because that's going to discourage shareware authors. I have to say, and certainly open source authors. Well, it's. I mean, here we here we are faced with a trade off. First of all, only thirty only the 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 thirty two bit systems will continue to work as before. So it's only the sixty four bit systems that have the burden of requiring signed drivers. The flip side is that certainly. I mean, it, it's it's raising the bar that what what's annoying is it's sort of like airport security now. It's not clear that you are absolutely secure after putting up with all this because you could imagine that somehow credentials are going to get loose in the world and and there will be malware which will be signed. I mean, you can imagine that the malware authors are going to find a way to get their their junk signed. If that's if that becomes important in order for them to be able to make this happen, and you could argue then that, and this is the argument that's being made, is that you know it's the as you say it's the open source, the free source yeah. guys who are going to be inconvenienced because you know the whole idea is they want this to be a, a free and inexpensive platform, and in fact, I think that's one of the points that's being made uh, by the, uh, you mentioned it yesterday on Twit Leo. Um, uh, or la in, in last week's in last Sunday's tweet that there was the the, the free software foundation had launched a campaign against Vista <laughs> badvista.org badvista.org and and this is one of the issues they raise is that it's becoming more and more hostile to free software uh, you shouldn't have to pay a Microsoft tax to be a software developer it's going to backfire on Microsoft I don't think they understand how important it certainly is on the Mac side and Linux these these independent you know people like you uh, who want to develop good free software now you can afford to buy an authentic code certificate but not everybody can that's going to kill that uh, entire ecology and that's important well, well you'll get a kick out of this leo for the longest time i mean i've had authentic code certificates for years and i've never been able to get myself to use them <laughs> because they increase the size of my code by 4k they double it oh okay 4K. <laughs> <laughs> right. so from 26 to 30k okay. uh, it just bugged me it's like yeah. okay i mean it's another chunk of bloatware it right. doesn't have to be there's nothing that needs to be 4k it doesn't have to be a big thing because there's nothing oh, it could large. be a, it's probably a guid i mean it's probably not much comp much in there well, the, the, there was some discussion of this in our news groups recently, and I, I mentioned that you know when, when you put in a minimal PGP signature on a piece of email, that's not a 4K blob. You know, it's a couple lines of yeah. crypto-looking stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's all you need in order to have a a publicly signed hash of some content. So anyway, it's just you know, it's it's people who don't care about size end up with big things, 
and uh, so that so that's what Authenticode is. So anyway, that, uh, I mean that's that badvista.org if you want to read more about that, and I'm I'm kind of in their ball in there. And yeah. you know what'll happen is just people won't do open source software for Vista. Well, arguably though, I mean to take the flip side because I think it's important we look at both sides. It will increase security. Yeah, I, mean, I understand it, that. Yeah, requiring signed drivers, requiring that somebody's name be on this. I mean, and, so and give all- away Authenticode. Have a free Authenticode certificate for free. And open source developers. You can imagine that, like SourceForge, would have some some Maybe something like do. that. Yeah. But the problem is, as soon as you do that, as soon as SourceForge like gets together and does a single certificate that everyone uses, well, then it's completely available to the hackers. Sure, that's a I good mean, point. Yeah. You know, I you know this is for me. My Authenticode certificate is my private key. It is a private key that is is associated with Gibson Research Corporation. I protect it dearly. I would never want to lose control of this because it would allow bad people to claim that their software was from me. So it's so it's it is something that you know I keep locked up tight. I mean it is it is in its own encrypted location right. and protected, and I, I I treat it very seriously. As you should. So yeah. So 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 the problem is if we end up with Authenticode um, credentials which are floating around freely, and we we know it's going to happen a couple of years from now when it becomes important that that'll happen. Then people are going to have to start looking at who it is that signed this, not assume that anything signed is good, and then we're going to have to have revocation lists that say, you know, these are the known bad keys which have gotten away and which malware is being signed with. So again, it's you know, it it's a it, it raises the bar. It's an inconvenience for people. It's not a black and white perfect solution because there isn't one. Right. But it's probably a good thing to do. I mean. You know, ask me, do I, would I like to, ha- oh, and you can disable this administratively and you can enable it on 32 bit systems administratively. Oh, you can. Yes. Oh, I'm going to make a note of that. So you can tell, so you don't have to run 64 bit windows to have the benefit of this signed code. And the, uh, now I have to back off from that because I'm not sure if that's only developer. If that might be the development build, you can imagine that developers don't want to have to be continually signing their code while they're debugging it. So it may be that the debugging build is is I, well, I know I'm more you, interested in the ability to turn it on than the ability to turn it off. Ah, I can see why they ab- want to turn it off, but turning yes. it on is great. It's absolutely the case that 32-bit XP and 32-bit Vista, XP and Vista, can require all drivers be signed. I think that's great. We need to publish the code required to do that. I think that's fantastic. Uh, for 32-bit, turn it on in 32-bit. You'll be much safer, right? Well, the problem is, since it's never been on by default, no drivers are signed. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so now, you'll have the same compatibility issues that you're going to have in 64-bit anyway. Yep. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting, though, because the... Signing technology is not a big deal. You know, if I were really, if I were really uptight about this, I could sign other people's drivers just so that they have a signature, right. then turn that on in XP. And then if anything else, if any hostile junk tried to get right. itself installed, it would be blocked. And then I could say, wait a minute, what's this that I have not signed? So an advanced user could have his own certificate. Would he have yep. to have the authentic code, or could he just use the free one from Microsoft? No, no, no. You uh, the 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 free one from Microsoft goes hand in hand. You still need with authentic a, code. With, yeah, yes, with a per, a commercial commercially purchased certificate. But a business and, here's a good use for it. A business, the IT department could purchase one certificate, yep. sign acceptable stuff, 
Turn this featured on a 32-bit, and then nothing yep. else will run. Yep, and and that's something that you are able to do at the at the um, what's the 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 name in Windows for the all the whole bunch of extra settings that IT can control. It's not oh, um, a policy editor. Po- yes, it, it's in, it's in group policy editor. That's where you're able to set a policy, and it could be pushed out corporate wide. That that is I, a very smart thing to do if you're in an IT uh, department. It's a cool trick. Yeah. It's worth it's worth mentioning though. You were talking about how I can afford um, Authenticode because you know this is what I'm doing. Because for me, certainly as GRC, having my stuff signed is is important. You're a business, um, but it's not like it's really that free. All you know, even now to develop for Windows, it's like well, yes, yeah. you you can write code, but you know, I pay Microsoft twenty five hundred dollars a month. <sighs> A month, the M- a year. The, I mean, I'm sorry, a year. <laughs> oh the, boy, <laughs> uh, a year for for the for the MSDN right. package, which is a big blob of DVDs, which they are constantly revving. Do you have in- to have that? Couldn't you just buy Visual Studio? Do you have to have uh, the full MSDN library? I mean, is there that much new stuff that you need to no. have? You're right. What I'm getting, you're, you're you're exactly correct. What I'm getting is like is all the OSs and all the versions of everything right. and the developer tools. You are you're right. You you could get a just by Visual just, Studio, but that's still their for, development stuff. That's still expensive. I mean, it's it's not cheap. No, in fact, they're increasing the price and they're they're it's like changing the way it works. It's it's many hundreds of dollars for that. So I, I may you, be wrong, but I just think that an operating system relies quite a bit on these independent third parties, sometimes very small. Developers, including open source and free software developers, those are important. Well, and the developer community has got all these tools that are available too. So, I mean, there 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 are free compilers, there are free right. libraries. You can definitely do it on the cheap, but you know, if, if the you know if, if you go the normal sanctioned route, it's already not free to right. write software uh, for Windows. Right. You're right. Good point. So, so anyway, which and by um, the way, the complete opposite on the Mac platform, they give you all this stuff. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, very cool. It comes um, on your install disk. <laughs> well, and for example, there have been other compilers than than Visual Studio. Watcom was available. Right. Certainly, Symantec has made a compiler right. for years. But you they're know, all dead now because everybody uses Visual Studio. Yeah. I know well, Analog I, X still uses. Mark still uses Wacom. Wacom, but still, <laughs> most yes, people. He, he, most people. He's off. <laughs> he's off blazing his own trail. Yeah. Does he still use Wacom? As far as I know, I can't. Because it hasn't him been changing. updated in ages. Yeah, but it works. And he's got all the macros and the libraries and everything. He just doesn't yeah. need it. doesn't need anything. Yeah. Right yeah. All right. So uh So 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 what Securable does is um and this will be the, the, the forthcoming freebie for me. Um it's only a couple weeks away. I'm just nailing down details at this point and there there's some issues of chip identification because I wanted to tell people exactly what kind of processor they've got running in their system. What it does when you run it is it shows you three things about your system, about the system it's running on, whether it might have 60, well, whether it does have 64-bit emulation technology, which Intel calls EM64T, or whether it's a 64-bit AMD system that might be running in 32-bit mode, so you didn't know it. So that would tell you whether, at your choice, you had the option of running either 64-bit version of XP or the forthcoming 64-bit version of Vista that will definitely give you much more security. I know that you said in in Twit last week, Leo, and we talked about it um, also up in Toronto, you've got the 64-bit Vista and you're getting, you know, you're, you're rubbing your hands together, getting ready 
to 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 load it and see how it goes. That's my project today. In fact, I'm just right now as we speak. Drive snapshot is making an image of my Vista 32-bit off the laptop. So if it really is a horrendous experience, I can quickly go back to 32-bit. And uh, I've got the Vista 64 disc sitting right in front of me. Huge, though, by the way. You need a DVD. It's almost four gigs. Yes, it is a lot big. Sure. Well, and and even even 32-bit is 2.678 gigs or Why something. Why would the 60, so, is the 64-bit code inherently bigger? Um, what I've heard, and this is just anecdotal, I've heard that the 64-bit system, for whatever reason, also includes 32-bit versions uh, of all of the apps okay. in addition to 64. I see. So you're getting, you know, double double the trouble essentially. Right. Um you may get there before I do. I'm not I mean I very much want to be running this. In fact, I probably will have to before I'm able to put the this the 1.0 version stamp on on securable. Um my supposition though is that is that Microsoft has has accumulated so many drivers for 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 existing PC hardware that certainly Vista 32 knows all about the hardware that I've exposed it to so far. I mean, it's running on all kinds of stuff. I mean, even an old tablet PC, my my, my old HP TC 1100 is running it perfectly. So I would imagine that Microsoft has taken all of those drivers, compiled them in 64-bit version, and that the 64-bit Vista may be very hardware compatible, which wow. would really would really help it a lot. Wow, very interesting. So, Securable will tell you when you run it whether you've got 64 bits hiding in your chip that you may not know um, that would allow you to run the more secure 64-bit version of a Vista, or for that matter, you know the the current 64-bit version of XP. It'll tell you whether you've got hardware DEP. Now, DEP is, I think, the single most important security feature. To happen in a decade. I'm not Data kidding. execution I'm, prevention. Yes. What this is, is and, and we've talked about it in passing. In fact, you and Paul talked about it. It was one of the the, the title acronyms in last Windows Weekly um, a couple weeks ago. Um, what this uh, does is essentially it allows the system to stop bu- virtually all buffer overruns. Wow. And that's big. I mean... All the security problems that we encounter, with an incredibly small exception, are buffer overrun attacks. You know, anyone who's been listening to security now for the last 71 weeks has heard buffer overrun, buffer overrun. I mean, over and over and over. These are the kinds of problems which catch programmers. And we've talked about how the stack works, and and as a consequence of the way it works, if, if somehow it's possible to inject a longer string of data or longer you know a longer response into some sort of control that isn't expecting that that, that doesn't specifically limit it and and clip it off and and more often than not it's something the programmers have to deliberately do if something's able to do that it's possible to cause the computer to be remotely compromised and you know I mean, every second Tuesday, I mean, literally every second Tuesday of the month, Microsoft is patching multiple buffer overrun problems. They're just all over the place. So so the idea is the 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 architecture of our computers is is based on four K byte what's called pages of memory. And the idea is 
but this this system deals with memory in these 4K pages. It's 4K byte pages which are swapped out to the uh, virtual memory partition as the system is shuffling its memory around. Everything is done in these 4K pages. These pages are controlled by the system's memory management system which knows which pages are swapped in, which ones are out, where they're physically located in memory. Traditionally, pages have had the had bits associated with them that sort of governed what the system could do. There were read permission and write permission bits, which individually allowed on a 4K page granularity, it allowed a 4K page to be marked as readable and or writable. So it was possible for the system to protect pages from being written and make them read only or to protect them from being read, for example, and make them write only, although that's not commonly done. And essentially, when, whenever any code in, and this is, this is enforced at the hardware level, that is in the chip's silicon, which is what makes it so powerful, any code that violated the rules that had been set by those bits governing that page would would generate a hardware exception as it's called that would yank control instantly away from the program that had that had misbehaved and transfer control to the operating system along with information about what exactly it was that had just happened so it doesn't shut the system down it just takes no. control away yes it just says bad code bad code bad code. So so what has happened is recently and this is only in the last couple years Intel and AMD have added another bit to the page management system. In addition to read and write permission, there is now execute permission. And this is huge. I mean it is it is such a an obvious thing. It's the kind of thing you it's like why didn't we have that 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been trivial to put in, just didn't occur to anyone. Well, there wasn't a and, problem 20 years ago. Uh, okay. Or was there? Well, there was 15 years ago. I mean, yeah, I think there's, <laughs> all, there's, there's always been a problem. I, I mean, guess. I mean, it's just know, bad code. I mean, if it's not a hacker problem, it's just a problem. You know, Unix predates Windows. It's 20 years old. Right. It's, ha- it's had rootkit problems from day one, right. and those have been buffer overrun exploits. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's always been a problem. I mean, you know, it's, it's just bad it's programming. Like, I mean, it's, it's things like using STR copy, STR copy, instead of STRN copy. Uh, there's no range checking. It's just it's sloppy programming. That's what gets me. Well, you know, I, I, I don't mean to, to disagree with you, but as a programmer... I can tell you that I mean. Well, you're an assembly is, code. You got no range checking unless you write it by um, hand. Well, yes, but I mean, I'm I live in fear that I'm going to screw right. up. Right. My point is that it is so easy to take your eye off the ball yeah, for yeah. just a minute, and 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 the idea, you know, when we've talked about uh, uh, several weeks ago, why is security so hard? It's that you know the programmers, the developers' mindset is. Get this thing to work. Right. Now, I mean, I have a heavy layer of, and it better not have any security flaws in it. Right. I mean, and certainly any conscientious programmer who's writing Internet code today has got to be aware of security. That's going to be the forefront of the, in, in the forefront of their mind. Right. You know, that's going to be a, a focus for them. So certainly they're aware of that. Um, 
but it, it is easy to make a mistake. So, All right. I'll so, be so, charitable. So, so here's what's cool is that this when the system supports DEP, all of the pages which the system does not expect to have code executing in can be marked as non-executable. So that would be the I stack mean, for one thing. That'd be the stack. It would be something called the heap. Uh, a heap is something we've never really talked about, but it's it's the way the system the the system makes memory freely available for allocation by program. So, for example, if I need a 4K buffer, I'll allocate a buffer. I can allocate it from the stack, or I can allocate it from the heap. Now, unfortunately, a lot of programmers put executable code in the heap. I mean, it's not an unusual technique. Well, I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, it certainly is the case that it can be done. and Even if, in the stack. I mean, it, there are some. And that's why those programs break when you use DEB. Well, yes. And historically, in fact... The, the the very early Windows GUI when 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 you know processors were four point seven seven megahertz and and we were trying I mean it was just painful to drag a window around the screen <laughs> and in fact in fact you didn't drag the whole window you just dragged a little dotted outline right, right. because you you couldn't drag the whole window right. I mean it would have just been really excruciatingly slow back then Microsoft's clever um, there, there was a thing called the bit blit instruction, yes. or, or 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 the blitter is the thing mm-hmm. in and in 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 old GUI terminology that that moves rectangles of of pixels around the screen. The blitter was actually written on the stack on the fly in order to make it as fast as possible. So so old Windows actually, you know, by by policy. And by technology, use the stack as a as an executable scratch pad. So it turns out, though, that you know many programs no longer do that. And if, as you said, Leo, it's true that some do. It's it's certainly the case that virtually all exploits are buffer overrun mistakes, which all would be caught if the system had hardware data execution prevention. So, uh, and it turns out that many of the chips introduced in the last few years have it. Now, what we've learned, however, is a couple things. Many of the BIOSes that that the people in our news groups have that do on, on systems that have hardware data execution prevention, they've got an option in the BIOS for turning it off. And in fact, I, I bought an, a little HP Pavilion here not long ago. It has the option for turning it off. At least mine was on by default. Many people are finding that theirs is off by default, meaning that that at boot time, the BIOS disables the hardware data execution prevention option in the chip such that when the computer looks at it, it believes it's not present. So... So anyway, it turns out that there's something called uh, model-specific registers, MSRs, which is what the BIOS uses for turning this off. User mode code, that is like my program securable, is unable to access the model-specific registers from user mode without blowing up. It generates a a, a, a data exception error, and it it will shut down the program. So I'm unable to see from user mode whether this bit has been set or not. Hmm. Thus, I've written a kernel mode driver, which Securable brings along with it. It's still a single XE. It's still small. It just drops it out of the bottom of itself. 
briefly loads it in the kernel and 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 checks the model specific registers sends that information back up to my little securable app and then removes the driver so it's just it's it's just installed in the kernel briefly in a blink it's removed and that allows me not only to tell users whether the system can see whether they've got data execution prevention but also whether they might actually have it if they think they don't but their bios is one of those which defaults to having it disabled by default mm -hmm. so so anyway i've you know i've rolled my sleeves up i'm going <laughs> to no end kidding. up no kidding this sounds like sleeve up, rolling time <laughs> yeah it's it's been sleeve rolling time uh, so um basically it's going to be a complete presentation of these three security features whether you've got 64 bits whether you actually have hardware depth support and whether your system supports the, the 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 virtual technology extensions and uh it turns out though that this is also sprung into a second piece of software which will be called i think it's going to be called in depth d-e-p-t-h and that's going to be something that's going to verify all these depth things for users that is it's one thing to know your system has the capability it turns out though that this depth has many different modes of operation and some of this is very mysterious. For example, you can run it, as you mentioned, about opting in and opting out. There are opt-in and opt-out modes. Hmm. The opt-in is the normal case, and no things are opted in except some of Windows binary, some of Windows code. That they know won't run unless you turn it off. Well, no, that the they know will run oh, and it's, and oh, it's by safe. default. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah so, so, so their binary, some of theirs are are enabled for depth because they know they're safe and they would like any buffer overruns that occurred in them to be caught. Right. But for example, all I mean the rest of the applications, lots of applications are where and ActiveX controls are where these problems are. It turns out that you can then use a mode called opt out where Microsoft says that everything not opted out of will be checked mm. for any buffer overruns, which would lead you to believe that everything would be checked, right. except there's a third mode <laughs> called always on, right. and it turns out, get this, that you would think that always on would be the same as opt out if nothing had opted out. It's not. Many people have discovered that there are programs they use which work fine with opt out, but do not work it with always on why not so so they're not uh, checking we, those programs it's a mystery um it may my hypothesis is that opt the opt-in opt-out might only be checking the user mode buffer overruns and not device drivers but when you use always on it's checking everything system-wide and there are device drivers where there are problems for example the current build of adaware um fails this um, there have been, you know, uh, users in our news groups are 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 posting their findings as we're experimenting with this. I will have a a, a complete comprehensive presentation to offer our security now listeners a few weeks from now once I've un unraveled all these mysteries. But what's interesting is there is zero documentation of this on Microsoft's site. We mean we have been scouring, looking for any explanation, for example, for why always on is different from opt out where nothing opts out and microsoft says nothing about it right. so it's going to end up being okay do a bunch of experiments figure it out the hard way 
and uh, and that's what I'm going to do. So anyway, I'm uh, I'm having a ball writing some some new free software that came uh, arose from Security Now, and it'll be made available to to everyone, and certainly to all of our Security Now listeners. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Absolutely free as always. And a yep. lot of nice features, it sounds like. In fact, it sounds like the kind of program you'd want to run just to kind of know what's going on on your system. Well, and w- one other thing, too, is that people have mentioned, hey, you know, they could send this to someone whose computer oh. they were going to purchase, or you you might yeah. be able to get a, a, a it, dealer to run it. Or if, if Tell some, me what I'm buying here. That's exactly. a great idea. Yeah. If, if a friend of yours said, hey, I just got a really cool system, you know, from Dell, for example, uh, you know, someone could say, hey, well, run opt-out. I mean, sorry, run uh, opt-out is a long time ago. Run Securable from GRC. Tell me what it says. Because, I mean, it's a very simple display. It says 64, yes, yes, if you've got everything, or 64, yes, no, if you've got DEP but not v, uh, the uh, vir- virtual technology extension. So, I mean, it would be very a very super quick way of telling you, you know, some, some things you care about about the security of, this, of the system you're on. Right. Great, great, great. When we'll look for that in the next couple of weeks. But you're going to yep. take some time off for the holidays, I hope. Please don't work. No, I, no, no, no. I'm I, I'm right in the middle of this. I'm having a ball. <laughs> oh, Steve, Steve, Steve. What are you doing for Christmas? Anything? I'm just going home for a couple of days up, up to see Good. my family in San Mateo. Yep. All right. Well, Steve, as always, what a great pleasure uh, having you on. And we're, I just can't thank you enough for doing the work you do to secure us all. I mean, it's little things like securable that really... You give them away, and it makes a big difference, I think. Uh, you probably don't even know the kind of impact you have made. But uh, I do, and I thank you for it. And uh, oh, I love love doing it. It's been a great year of shows. We have one more uh, before the end of the year. Uh, what are we going to talk about next time? Well, it's number 72. Oh, we're going to Q&A it. It's a mod for, it's our Q&A number 14 right. next week. We will do that next week. Unlike all the other Twit podcasts, Steve is sticking around. And <laughs> and so is Spinrite. And, you know, people have hard drive problems even on the holidays, don't they, Steve? <laughs> Maybe even more so yeah. when the kids come home from school. Yeah, or they get a new computer and it's just dead on arrival. Spinrite yeah. is the solution. It's the ultimate disk recovery and maintenance utility. It's Steve's day job. Uh, and he works just as hard on it as he does in all the security stuff. S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E dot info if you want to know more There's a lot of good testimonials in there and of course grc.com is steve's site where you'll find the 16 kilobit versions of this show for the bandwidth impaired the transcripts thanks to elaine and more information as well grc.com have a merry christmas steve yourself too leo thank you we'll talk to you next week security now